Welcome to the first episode of Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Thanks everyone for joining me in the first episode of Life's a Beach. I'm really excited today and looking forward to chatting to an old mate of mine and the person who is responsible for bringing Bondi Rescue to life, and that is Benny Davies. Hey Benny, mate, good to have you in. Thanks for having me, Hop. Good to see you. It's been a, a long journey with Bondi Rescue. It's something that we probably both didn't think we'd be sitting here 15 years later talking about it. No, definitely, definitely not. We're not talking about a show that's still on air anyway. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. I mean, so I suppose a lot of the fans out there and, and people listening haven't heard of how Bondi Rescue came about, the process of Bondi Rescue at the back end. They see the, you know, us doing rescues and first aids and all the drama that happens on the beach, but they've never really gone back in. And I thought, perfect opportunity to get uh, you in today because you're basically uh, the producer, the creator of Bondi Rescue. And so if I take... Us all the way back, probably 15 years, maybe a bit more. I remember when you came down the beach and, and saw me and said that you wanted to come on board as, yeah. you know, do a bit of casual lifeguarding. So tell us a bit about that. What sort of sparked you to come down and, and do that? So I was living across the road from the beach and I was working on a project at the time. I had a um, some funding to do, some development funding for another project. And I was working on that and at the, as summer was coming up, a couple of lifeguards said to me, hey, could be a casual position, like a mid-season intake for a couple of lifeguards. Are you keen? I thought, oh, yeah, this could be fun, you know, hanging out at the beach a bit. Probably don't have to do too much work. We'll be able to uh, have a little surf at lunchtime. I thought, oh, this would be easy street. Yeah, I ended up coming down and working, getting a job and started working. My first day was on New Year's Eve. It was a crazy day to start. I thought, oh, this would just be a little casual thing I can do over summer, you know, between TV work while I'm trying to get some ideas off the ground. And after two weeks on the beach, I just saw what was going on and how busy it was, and I thought, bugger that other thing that I'm developing. I should be trying to make a TV show about this, you know. You're like, you are born and bred Bondi, so obviously down the beach every day of your life and growing up, and and you saw us, you knew us down the beach, yeah. working as lifeguards, but until you actually came on to become a lifeguard didn't really understand what the job entailed and, and how much we actually did at the beach. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Because I always knew the lifeguards and the beach inspectors growing up, but never really used to see them do many rescues. And it's not because they weren't happening, it's just they kind of happen so fast and you don't always happen to be around, you know. And even the idea that there was all this work going on down there. Yeah. And so it was a huge, huge surprise. And I remember coming home from work every day and I'd talk to my wife. Uh, we weren't married at the time, but we are now. And I'd talk to her and say, you're not going to believe what happened today. <laughs> and then i go, the next day i go, unbelievable, craziest day you know, today. <laughs> and then the next day there'd be another story. Yeah. And I was like, this is just incredible. And because I'd started on New Year's Eve, I was right in the thick of it at that stage. And it was just a complete eye-opener 
having you know lived and surfed and uh, grown up you know with the beach that beach and so much of it being a big part of my life that I didn't even know about it it yeah. was right under my nose yeah and you know pretty much when you came on board and then you said that you had the idea of the TV show what was the process from there like you thought okay I've got the idea now how's that gonna uh, I always sit on an idea like I, I try and sit on them for two weeks because when you get an idea like you get a rush of emotion and you think it's the greatest thing ever and then you charge off into it and then find that actually you know, maybe it wasn't as good as you thought at the time. <laughs> so I always like to let them sit, have a two-week thing. Yeah. Sometimes I go, wow, it's a no-brainer. She just get onto it. But you kind of know which ones those are. But generally I sit for two weeks. And so after a couple of weeks that I could be something in this. And I can't remember when I eventually came to you and, uh, and said, what do you think about this? But I remember we didn't have a whole heap of time. I remember we didn't have – it was winter by the time I actually shot a, a reel, which is like yep, a presentation right. so reel. I think it was the end of that, that summer into the winter we, we that's shot right. a, a pilot-type reel. Yeah, yeah. And that was the first time I turned the cameras on ever down there. But the summer had passed and, and I'd been – I worked out the proposal and then I went down and with you and Azra and a few yep. other guys, we, we shot some stuff in the middle of winter. Yep, that's right. And that's what I took around to the networks. And from there, did you think – it had legs or normally you've got to go out and get a whole lot of characters to do this, but did you just look at all of us and say, these lunatics, it's, uh, you're going to get enough out of it or you're uh, taking was, a massive risk? No, nah, and it seemed like a no-brainer. The best ideas, and I've got a couple at the moment where people go, can't believe someone hasn't done that already. <laughs> That's the, They're, the, they're yeah. the best ones, you know, always the best. And the reel was so good and the characters were so strong and it was, it was super famous beach which I knew really well. So I felt like it was a no-brainer. It was just a matter of getting it on TV and taking it into the networks. But they didn't all want it straight away. I got knocked back by one network. That's when we went to Channel 10. Right. And by that stage, I had two super important people in the picture. I had Ginge, David Gingell, yeah. former boss of Nine, and he was in between gigs at Nine. So he was pushing it in at Channel 10 and it also set up a co-production agreement with Michael Cordell who's my co-EP yep. from CJZ and he's uh, he's you know a decade or so older than me and a really good producer so he was a great mentor in the early days and a good partner to have. Well you are known I've seen out there that you're known as the brains behind Bondi Rescue. <laughs> you heard that one before? I've seen it written before yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. So once uh, you know 10 gave the okay and, and said let's uh go ahead with it i remember you were um, talking to me about you know, bringing the cameras down and obviously us as lifeguards had no idea what yeah. that was going to be like and and what was going to happen and it was quite yeah. and I, I remember correct me if i'm wrong i think originally it was only going to be an hour special it wasn't yes. con, uh, commissioned as a, a full series yeah so it was an hour special because they still like, but they used to say things to me like oh what if there are no waves <laughs> <laughs> And I cast my mind back to the season which I just worked, and we had 238 rescues in one day. Yeah. And uh, and I remember working as well. I remember doing rescues with you when we're just going in and out yeah, at South yeah. Bondi, just plucking them one after another. And I thought, don't worry about the rescues; there'll be <laughs> there'll be plenty. Yeah. And they were, but they just wanted to test the waters with a one-hour special. But then that year, that was the year the Canal Rights broke out. Yep. There's some shark attacks and some big surf, and all of a sudden, the, every newspaper cover was all about the beach. Yep. And that's when they flicked the switch and said, yeah, we'll order a series. And I think still to the today, the Takahiro 
resuscitation was the one in that first year. And I think that had a lot to do with it as well, where yeah. even to today, they're, they're still playing that all around the world as training for people in CPR. And yeah. I think it's probably the first one that was captured from the, right from the beginning, yeah. right through to the end. He actually he came back to life and then you followed that right through to the hospital and, and had an, an end result as well. You see them in, probably see them in shows like Ambulance, like UK and yep. the current paramedic shows. Uh, now, but that's because they're rigged up with those cameras. But yep. back then, the demand for that video was so high because yep. people, emergency services all around the world wanted to see it so yep. they could use it as a training device. And that resuscitation was um, absolutely filmed from the moment he'd been pulled out of the water yep. before anyone started work on him. You guys carried him up the beach and resuscitated yep. him, got him back to life right there and then. And that was a kind of, that was a complete game changer, you know. It was something as well with the people, the audiences that were watching the series. They kind of, they just quickly realised, wow, these guys aren't mucking around, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're not mucking around. And someone, David Gingell, summed that up really well years ago. It was actually when we were in the room. I should just tell you this very quickly. So we were in the room pitching it to ten. They were kind of like we talked about the special, and then there was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll do a series, and then, you know, maybe we'll do four or five or six, you know, and. and and Ginge at that point just said, listen, it's like MASH. They joke around all the time. Until there's work to be done, then they go in and save lives. Just take 10. And they went, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That was, yeah. you know, the cameras came down and, and it all sort of started to kick off. And I remember one of the young girls down there that was working for you that you know, on the crew and they were underneath. And I think that the early days they were listening to the dialogue of what we're all saying. And yeah. I remember going down and checking and saying, oh, you know, how's it been all going? It's probably about two weeks in. And yeah. she said, oh, well, it's been uh, very educational. And I'm thinking <laughs> that's when it twigged to me that she's listened to every single thing these guys are saying and I know what they talk about. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it would be probably pretty educational <laughs> down there. All the crew like working with the lifeguards. Yeah. They kind of go in with this bit of trepidation because it's mostly guys. Most of them have either gone to school together, surfed together, yeah. grown up in the same neighbourhood. Yeah. at least somewhere between Bondi and Maroubra. So it's a pretty tight-knit group and everyone goes in with a bit of trepidation, and, but then they all just fall in love with the lifeguards. Yeah. They yeah. just love love the lifeguards. And they, no matter, like, there's certain things they go, oh, it's a bit rough or a bit kind of like uh, blokey or whatever, but, yeah, they just adore the lifeguards. Yeah. With the crew and, and, and the cameras and that that came in, so a lot of people... I've heard over the years because they don't understand how Bondi Rescue is made and obviously there's no replays. We can't take two, take three. It's whatever happens, happens. And you always hear that, oh, it's all set up, it's all made up and staged and this sort of stuff. So I thought we'd go back into the back end on how Bondi Rescue is made and the cameras down there. And if you can explain how that sort of all worked, we can start off with the first series with what we had with cameras to, yeah. to now we've got GoPros everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So when we first started, we weren't sure. It's only a one-kilometre stretch of beach, and we th weren't sure how to cover it, but we thought it's so small. as, a, as It's a single location. Even though it's a kilometre, we'll be in the middle and we'll cover it all off. It'll yeah. be fine. At that stage, we didn't. there was no GoPros. It hadn't been invented yet. There was no uh, microphones on the lifeguards out in the water. I think we just started trying to build our own board cameras, you know, wiring yeah, these up. things up on boxes in the front. Yeah, we just sort of like winged it at the beginning and we missed a lot of stuff because yep. we weren't completely structured in a way to cover it all off. 
and we'd be buzzing around on the backs of bikes and things like that, but we didn't have proper coverage in the tower. We weren't recording the radio. There's a whole lot of things. And the first season seems really primitive when you watch it comparatively. Yeah, I remember, um, you, you know, you had Brooks of Vista that was a water cameraman. And I remember going yeah. out, I'd be paddling out for rescues and next thing you know, you grab the patient and next thing you know, Brookie would be there with his flippers and everything and <laughs> yeah. sticks the camera up in front of you and you're out and ready to get hit by a wave. And yeah, but looking back, I think it made it really realistic, I think. I think that's probably now the cameras are in place. Yeah. You sort of people probably don't understand that. It's very true. That's how, um, you know, they were sort of chasing us to get to that point, whereas now so the cameras are there as we're coming into that. But yeah, obviously that's changed and you can explain how that has, has progressed in, in the industry of recording. Yeah, Brooke was, it's worth commenting on Brooke because he was very interesting as our long-term water cameraman because even when things were a little bit primitive, if he wasn't at the spot, he couldn't catch it. Do you know what I mean? Like the lifeguard would always beat him to the water and get out there first. He just can't catch a lifeguard on the board. But he used to also sit on the shoreline under an umbrella on the busiest rip on the beach and he'd have his flippers on. He'd be in that, you know, board shorts all day (laughs) just sitting under an umbrella. And because he was a surfer... And the lifeguards weren't always there right there and then. He would see the rescues as they're about yeah. to unfold. And he used to swim out to the person as they're in trouble. And sometimes, well, quite often, he'd be there before the lifeguard. Yeah. And I remember there was a time there where when he would get out of his seat and move towards the water, the lifeguards would then look to the water to see what was going on because it meant that Brooke had seen something. But we had to tell him that if you're out there in the water and there's someone's drowning in front of you, you need to at least let them hang on to your camera <laughs> because, you know, it's just the human thing to do. But he would sometimes be there filming person. They'd be bobbing up, going underwater, you know, drowning in front of him. Yeah. And then they'd go to grab the camera and he'd pull it away and go, don't touch the camera, buddy. <laughs> and we'd be like, Brooke, you can't do that. You know, we know you want to get the shot, but you've got to help these people if, if you're there. Yeah, I remember um, you turn up and you're going to, you know you're going in for a rescue and you look down and ahead of you is a Brookie's running along the uh, the sand with his flippers on and he's diving <laughs> yeah. in, he's on his way. And, yeah, I mean, they were, they were great days. And, and, yeah, but as it progressed, you know, we've uh, we're now got uh, the GoPros and, yeah. and that's probably changed uh, the way that you film now. Yeah, big time. So the, th- the way that we kind of set the beach up to cover it off is we have – a producer in the tower, shooter producer in the tower, and we have a crew who are with a buggy driven by an off-duty lifeguard. We have our own buggy and have um, off-duty lifeguard driving our crew right in that. And then if it's a weekend or a busy day, we'll either have another crew or we'll have a shooter producer, you know, out with a camera. To Even with that as our base, very hard to cover it off because lifeguards can be all over the beach. So when the GoPros came along, we started. We just started mounting them everywhere. They're in the uh, buggies, pointing back at the driver and pointing forward, and they're on the boards, all the boards, and then they're in the tower, on the stairs, on the front door. You know, so I think at any one time we can be running. If you include the GoPros, you know, nearly thirty cameras, yeah. and that just meant there's this coverage everywhere. And it actually put Brooke out of a job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it put Brooke out of a job because we didn't need a water cameraman there every day. It was kind of like, it was quite sad because we had it with us for a long time, but the GoPros end up taking over. Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember the, the days when we wear, a lot of people ask, what's that on our arms? And that's obviously mm. the, the radio mic, so you guys yeah. can, can get the dialogue from yeah. you know, when we're in the water. 
But I remember, and you remember when uh, one of the girls was embarrassed as we had to go across and they got to buy these boxes of condoms. So t tell that story why you had to get the, the condoms. But one of our sound recorders down now, he said, you know, there's a waterproof microphone that, you know, we could probably put on the lifeguard's arms. And we thought, wow, that's incredible. And he said, look, just to be safe, though, even though it's waterproof, you know, there's things that screw up and close on them open and close and you know they've got little you know gaskets and rubbers to seal them but just to be safe we should be putting them in condoms as well the little you know recording devices and those little microphones they're kind of like probably about a third the size of a phone you know with a tiny little aerial and so we built these arm patches that they go in but as extra safety for waterproofing he said we're going to put them in condoms and the runners would always have to go to the sex shops to buy the condoms <laughs> and they, they didn't like it because, you know, they'd be saying, can I have like 300 condoms, you know, <laughs> and um, people in there would think that maybe they're prostitutes yeah, or they yeah. work at a brothel or something yeah, like yeah. that. And I ended up having to do it myself once and it was on Oxford Street of yeah. all places and um, I went in there. It's mostly like a gay kind of sex shop and uh, I asked for the condoms and yeah no big deal and then asked that I, I wanted them in bulk and I wanted the biggest size you've got <laughs> he, what, what, the, what was the reaction he got yeah I got a reaction yeah he was kind of like you know it's kind of had, he was interested that's let's say he was interested he didn't ask for your number did he not quite but uh yeah so the condoms and we still use them yep that's how the, the the microphones are set up but the thing about the mics is well they're a really big thing because the, the microphones are a really big thing for us the first time we had a microphone in the water and was on a lifeguard's arm, went out, did a rescue. I think it was Bobby Oldwin, actually, Yak Yak. And we got back to the edit suite and we listened to it for the first time. It was just, it was like music, you know. <laughs> we were so stoked to hear it because you think now you can finally hear what the lifeguards are saying to the yeah. patient. But the funny thing was he went out and did the rescue and there was nothing particularly dramatic about it. We still loved it, but he just went, G'day, how you going? <laughs> <laughs> Pulled them onto the board. Talking about editing, obviously, and I'm not sure now that, I mean, you must shoot, how many hours do you shoot? I mean, the, the, what the show's about 22 minutes yeah. um, or, or around about that, 10 episodes now. I mean, how, yeah, know, so how's that all sort of tie in? So we shoot... Uh, we usually start about seven to ten days before Christmas and then we shoot pretty much until the end of February there every single day. Old days, we were doing 13 episodes, we only do 10 now, but we used to shoot sometimes as late as like early April. And partly we would have to be there longer because the technology wasn't there so we'd miss stories. When the GoPros came in, we were able to get more, you know, because a lot of time they'd be great stories, we just didn't have the coverage of them so we couldn't run them. Yeah. GoPros meant that we'd capture more events and have them better covered. So our shooting period is now around, yeah, a week or so before Christmas up to about sort of mid to late February, yeah. and we shoot every day, every single day. In a day you can generate, you know, dozens and dozens of hours with multiple cameras, and then on some days you just get nothing. Yeah. We've had two weeks of rain and got nothing, and it's a bit of a nail-biter until something comes in, but it always does. In a total season, we would probably shoot, I reckon, stories-wise, we would probably shoot about two or 300 stories yeah. a season, maybe more actually, 400 or so, and then we just you know, probably have about three or four per episode. So yeah. we probably only use about 10%. Of that, yeah. So that's a, a lot of footage. So have you seen 
many editors burn out. It's, it's, imagine sitting there looking at my head every day trying to work that out. And some of the other guys, it must be mind-blowing. It's a real process to it. So the guys on the beach, once they've the – producers recorded the story, they make a note and, the, you know, and then the note will say whether they think it was a great story or not. It's A plus is like the best, you yeah. know, and then it goes down from there. And then it says coverage. What was the coverage, do you know what I mean? A, B, C, you know. Yeah. If we see two A's on there, we know it's great, and we just focus in on that. If we see lower, you know, marks for it, we recognise it's there, but we usually just cast it aside. And then when the producers get it, they get, here's your stories for this episode, and we just see how they, you know, how strong they feel. Yeah. But they do burn out. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, yeah, they're not, it's pretty fast pace. Did you think we'd get, like, from the first series when we, we sat down and we're planning it out. Did you think we'd actually get to 15 seasons of Bonner Rescue? No, I thought we would get three. Yeah. And then I thought every other show after this would be just as easy to get off the ground. Yeah. And I was wrong on both. Right. It's uh, gone for 15. We're going to 16 years this summer. That's not announced yet, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd like to think that it's going to happen. And uh, I was wrong as well to think that I'd get other TV shows up just as easy. That none of them came along as easy as Bondi Rescue. <laughs> Me looking at it, there was no plan or from our end. It just sort of all generated and happened. Yeah. What What do you think is the secret there? Why it has gone that long? And as you said, other shows that you thought would get up and going hasn't been able to. It's a combination of things. I would have to say great producing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some lunatic talent. <laughs> some lunatic talent. The talent are just extraordinary, you know, and... Because I knew the guys so well going into it, I kind of knew what their what made each of them unique and special, yeah. and we'd highlight that in the series. And people, there's no other series on air like this, like you know, Border Security or RBT or Ambulance, where people know the first names of yeah, they don't yeah. know the first name of the customs officer yeah. or the, the ambulance officer or the policeman on RBT, you know, but they know Hoppo. Yeah, you know? so it sort of created characters really for the yeah. for the show. Yeah, yeah, great characters, and also it's a rare beach because um, I can't. I don't know of any other beach in the world that where it's in such a short, small concentration. You've got such a high volume of people, and then a high incidence of rescues. Yeah, yeah. Even Rio de Janeiro, where the beaches get more crowded, the surf goes flat in the kind of peak of summer. I think they still do quite a few rescues, yeah, you know, year round, but it's very spread out. Yeah. yeah. Well, talking about overseas, how many do you know how many countries now it has been aired over all this period? I know the UK is probably yeah. the second biggest. They love it over there compared to Australia. But I have had people come up to me uh, when I was in Dubai and, you know, they're from Iraq. And I've had people come up with from countries that I never even thought that the show would ever go there, let alone people wanting to watch it. It's, I don't know the exact number, but I think it's anywhere between 100 and 150 countries. Yeah. I don't, the reason I don't know the number is because it gets bought out in whole territories, and then you don't. Right. Not, so they might buy all South America, but you don't know how many countries there that it's playing in. But you can you can get it just about anywhere in some shape or form. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's amazing how it's just spread all around the world. And but I think it's good because you know one we're getting um, water safety messages out there, and I think that's very important. And that's one reason we wanted to do it to start with is to get those messages out, and also. <clears throat> To show the world what professional lifeguards do. There's a lot on the, the volunteer movement that's renowned and iconic, but the professional lifeguards, it's just great to see that it's an actual career job now, and I think the show's had a lot to do with that to, to make it a career job. 
Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it the way I see it now. Certainly professional lifeguarding. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lives have been saved through the messages. People realise, well, I go in the water, I'm not a good swimmer, and if I go on a rip, I might not be able to get back to shore. And they've seen that through the show. And New South Wales University did a study on whether Bondi Rescue had had an influence on water safety, and it was... Uh, it was unequivocally saying, yeah, lives are saved by the education of this series. And it works both ways too. It's it's a tool for me as well to train the lifeguards. So I don't think any other job, you can someone can go to a resus or a rescue or anything like that. We can now pull the footage, sit down, and they can actually watch themselves. And so much easier than explaining, oh, look, you should have done it this way or that way. They can watch themselves and they pick up now that, yeah, you're, I should have done this or this and you know, it's great that um, it's a tool for us. Yeah. It'd be like being a plumber and having a team of young plumbers working for you. Yeah, and yeah. You send one of them off to a job, you know, and uh, you know something's not quite right, but you can't tell what it is. It'd be the equivalent of being able to just turn the camera on and go, mate, well, I saw what you did over there, you know what I mean, 50 <laughs> kilometres away, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah, you've always got opportunity to look at how you, you know, yeah. refine their skills. Because you do get a lot over the years prior to the show coming along where people say, no, no, I didn't do that, I did that, I did that. But at least now when they look at it, they know what they did or didn't. And mm. I think it's a positive it's for us yeah. as well as everybody else out there watching. Touching on now, which I never thought I'd get to go to or be at. I mean, the show's won six Logies now and something that was amazing. And I remember you've been down there with me for those six Logies. And I think the first one was quite daunting and we didn't know what to expect. And, you know, you do the red carpet and then you sit inside in the awards and and then when we won it, I think it's probably the, the, the speech I, I had to do was probably the most intimidating, you know, in front of people that idols and people I've watched on TV for many years. And here I am now up on stage doing an acceptance speech to, to all these people. I think they enjoyed it because uh, like everyone in the room, everyone else in, that was in the room wants to be famous yeah, or wants to be around famous people to a degree. Not every single person, but there's plenty of that. Yeah. And you're uh, the anomaly in some respects yeah. because you're a lifeguard, so you're there for your job, yeah. not to try and be famous. Yeah. And there's an enormous amount of respect for that because there's an authenticity in it yeah. that is not often not elsewhere in the room. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I'm amazed. It's, it's, it's a fantastic effort for all the, the team as well that, that have worked over the years to get recognition that – you know, six Logies is probably, is it still a record for, for our category or? Yeah, I think it was a record. It was the most Logies in a row for one show. There's other shows that have won more. But I don't uh, think they've done it in that six no. back-to-back. No, it was pretty remarkable. <laughs> it's remarkable. It's something that I suppose I can, you know, when I'm uh, well and truly retired, I've got that still that uh, I've actually won some Logies. There's a, a question I've been asking everyone, and, and you're in TV, so it might sort of help a little bit but uh what's one tv show you wish went longer without ruining it or rebooting it that i wished went longer without ruining it or rebooting it sopranos yeah yeah i could have seen the sopranos keep going yeah i used to love watching that too and yeah, yeah. that would love to see that can't do it now anyway the actor that played tony soprano he's, he's no longer alive but they they killed him off as a character too early, I think. Yeah, they could have done another couple of series. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great show. All right, Benny, it's, you know, it's great to uh, have you in here today and 
it's uh, fantastic to go back in all those memories and, and how Bondi Rescue came about and how it's filmed and catch you back down the beach soon. Thanks, Hoppo. It's good to reminisce. We were much younger men back then. <laughs> <laughs> I know. People look at the first uh, series now and, you know, 15 years later, it's uh, yeah, I'm looking a little bit older. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, you're not doing too bad. You're still tanned, Hoppo, for all the uh, listeners out there. It's the middle of winter and oh, we're just in the beginning of spring, actually, coming off the back of winter and Hoppo's still tanned. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope everybody out there, Bondi Rescue fans and everyone else, enjoyed learning about how Bondi Rescue came about and the great 15 years we've had. Hi everyone, I'm Hoppo and I'm in the Beach Shack. And each week we're going to do a segment called Beach Banter. I'm going to bring in some of my mates from the lifeguards and have a bit of fun. This week we've got Mario. G'day Mario. Hey, ciao, Apple. How are you today? Yeah, very good, very good. good thank you. Uh, recently, we um, had a, a big rescue where uh, two Russians got washed off the point there at Ben Buckler. You're involved with that? Yeah, I was uh, actually working that day, and um, I remember it was a busy, busy day. Um, it was uh, like toward the end of the day, late afternoon, sort of, and then yeah, we got called and. Uh, there was this emergency of uh, Ben Bakla. Basically, I was south and then the boys radioed me from the central. They asked me to launch a ski and I went to launch a ski and the boys went off Ben Bakla. And basically they found these two person from overseas, Russia background. And yeah, they basically got swept from these massive waves that were breaking on the cliff and um, a lady, the lady was basically helped by other people on the on the rocks, but the husband apparently wasn't, yeah, wasn't there. And um, the boys found the husband under the water after doing a bit of a search and rescue. It was pretty dramatic, yeah, moment. And uh, yeah, I was actually involved in a path at the same time. Something else was going on down south. So I had to rush back south and so south. there's the major rescue where they've got washed off there's <clears throat> um you know they've lost the person they're trying to locate them but at the same time there's there's another rescue starting to happen and, and tell us about that yeah exactly like nothing happened and maybe suddenly something happened altogether you know we have a more emergency at the same moment and then i went i rushed south because this other person was getting caught up in the rip and was pretty pretty rough day couldn't swim back in and i think he was actually be off his head as well because he didn't want to listen to me when i was calling him in so i had to go in the water by the time i went in the water also the, the jet ski came back from the emergency to back me up in case something was going wrong but yeah it was pretty dramatic moment because it was such an intense you know time and the, 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 the rescue happened the search and rescue, which end up pretty pretty bad, and then the same same time, obviously we had people on the, in the flags and people try to swim in the reefs and yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, so it's um, something that happens a fair bit. You you have a major incident, and there's also other stuff that happens at the same time, and you need to be on the ball. And sometimes you get caught where you need to deal with it on your own, and that's something that you had to do that day. 
Yeah, exactly. So just it's what it is part of the job. Like you can't focus only on one thing. You got all the rest of the beach as well. They just keep moving. And some people doesn't even know what happened when we do rescues in another part of the beaches. Or so how do you feel? Because you didn't know what the situation was out north, whether they had found the person or not, and you were dealing with a with a, another uh, rescue incident. So how? Did you feel when you found out that they found the, the the Russian male, but unfortunately he didn't make it? Yeah, I felt very sad and very like um, yeah. Just I try to use all my my energy, you know, to 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 keep safe this place, and then and then just people don't care or they don't want to follow our advice, and then yeah, I felt very sad because I just would like to you know tell the people out there when. We really need to them to listen to us. They they must listen to us, and that's it. Just do what we're asking them to do, it, just to make it easier for us. Because I obviously, I think it was such a big emergency. I didn't know if they, they need me as well again, you know. So I have to control that and maybe have in the back of my mind the other emergency. So it was pretty stressful situation as well. Yeah, you've been called mm. to deal with something that could have been avoidable, but the guys may have needed you for this uh, major incident that was happening at the north end. And just to let people know, it was two people walked out on the on the rock ledge out to the Ben Buckler, and there was a large swell. Mm. A rogue wave came and, and and washed them across the rocks. And fortunately for the for the wife, she was able to stay on the rocks and and got picked up and and held up by other people but mm. unfortunately he's either hit his head or something's happened in that impact and uh washed into the water and, and unfortunately that he was unable to be revived and i suppose the message there is that when you're going and out and taking photos and, and a lot of tourists do it these days on rock ledges and everything you need to be aware of the ocean and mm. and not to go out on on rock ledges and to get a photo because you never know when something tragic could happen sure exactly yeah just to respect the ocean and don't go too close when it's too big. Well, thanks, Mario, for popping in. It's uh, great to have a chat. Thank you. Each week, we will have a segment called The Mailbag, where we will respond to questions from listeners. We will answer anything, so send them in. This week on The Mailbag, I've got uh, Bryony Jackson has written in. Her question is, what has been your most influential moment that has occurred over the last 10 years? Why was it so influential? Well, Bryony, I'll answer this one. It's uh, over 15 years of Bondi Rescue. The main moment that stands out is probably the resuscitation I did with uh, Takahiro, uh, which was in the first season of Bondi Rescue, which is now shown in training all around the world and probably the most perfect resus that I was ever been involved with. Thanks, Bryony. Well, that's the end of our first episode. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. We would love you to rate and leave a review and tell all your friends. To find out more about the show and get in touch, go to our website, lifesabeach.co.au.